why are we looking, you might be wondering, why are we looking at a text that we already looked at last week? Well, um, we got to make some more remarks about that text uh, specifically, and so we are in the book of Acts chapter 26, looking at verses 19 through 29 this morning, Acts 26, verses 19 through 29, and I want to talk this morning about being crazy for Jesus, crazy for Jesus. I'm going to read this morning from the English Standard Version of the Scripture. It says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the, I have, uh, had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying those things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things. And on him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul in a short time, Would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Born in 1865, John Raleigh Mott became General Secretary of the Student YMCA. In 1888, and later Chairman of the Student Volunteer Movement for Foreign Missions, he was a world-renowned missionary statesman. He chaired the International Missionary Council in 1921 and focused his life on promoting the unity of believers in church groups. While serving in Japan, Mott was chosen by President Calvin Coolidge to be U.S. ambassador to that country. He responded to the president, God has called me to be an ambassador for the courts of heaven. Since that call, I have been deaf, deaf to all other invitations. I'm certain that some people at the time thought Mott was crazy. Who would refuse an, refuse an invitation from the President of the United States to serve as an ambassador? I wonder how many people thought Wilbur Wright was crazy when on December 17, 1903, he took his seat in the first power-driven plane ever built and was airborne at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Certainly there were those that thought the Wright brothers were nuts before that day. Even their own father, Bishop Wright, had said it was impossible for man to fly. I wonder about Christopher Columbus when he set sail. People thought he would sail off the end of the earth. 
because it was flat. And on their coins, there was the inscription, Ne plus ultra, which is no more beyond. And after 1492, the coin read plus ultra, or more beyond. Robert Fulton, before he gave the first public demonstration of his steamboat, people were chanting, it will never start, never start, never start. And then it started, and the crowds changed their tune. It will never stop, never stop, never stop. The Apostle Paul is thought to be out of touch with reality. Even today there are those that say that he, he hallucinated on the road to Damascus and yet Paul was the sanest of all theologians and his teachings were anointed by God. Paul was crazy, all right. He was crazy for Jesus. And wonder this morning about you. Can it be said of you that you're crazy for Jesus? Do those looking into your life, do they see your commitment to Christ? Are you radically committed to Christ? And is it clearly evident in your life? You see, Paul had just proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Festus blurts out, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And Paul's reply is, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. Here's the thing. The world should look at the Christian. And they should see someone that gives up all that this world has to offer in order to follow Jesus Christ. And to the world, that's crazy. Because the world lives for fame. The world lives for riches. The world lives for pleasure. The world lives for the here and now. And it dies without ever repenting. However, the believer does what is the most sane thing and deemed crazy by the world. They live for eternity. They live in light of eternity. The Christian is eternally minded, seeking to please Christ in everything that they do. To the world, that is nuts. And so I ask, are you crazy for Jesus? Let's dive into this passage of Scripture this morning. This morning we will see an, obedient, an obedience to the call of God. We'll then look at sinners living for the fleeting things of the world. And finally, we will see saints crazy for Jesus living in light of eternity. So first, obedience to the call of God. Paul in verses 19 through 21 is making it clear that he is being obedient to the call of God. In fact, in verse 19, he plainly states to King Agrippa that he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He declared emphatically that his call comes from heaven. It is not some sort of man-made call, but it is directly from the Lord himself. Now, here's the thing. Paul is the most unlikely person to receive the call of God, but it came. So before you think that somehow God can't use you or that God can't call you or that you don't have anything that you could possibly offer to God, remember that Paul was out killing Christians when God called him. The call from God was not a suggestion for Paul, but it was a command, it was a demand, it was a mandate, it was a charge, it was a decree, it was an ultimatum, however you want to look at it. It was not a suggestion, and, and, and whatever word you want to put in there to relay the fact that it was not up for discussion for Paul. God didn't come to Paul and say, hey, let's discuss this, Paul. 
Let's talk about what's going on. The Lord didn't, didn't come and, and question him or give him some sort of option or some sort of way out. Paul did not need to go and talk it over with his family and friends and see if it was okay for him to make this commitment. He did not need to go and seek out uh, other people's opinions to see what they thought. He also did not need to sit and consider the pros and cons and make a list of the pros and cons of whether he should follow what God was leading him to do. He didn't base his decision on some sort of secular mentality, whether or not he should follow. He did not ask God, hey God, should I really do this or not do this? What offers me the best career advancement? What would get me the most money? The Lord, God gave him a command and Paul's duty was to simply obey and Paul says I did not disobey I did not disobey this is directly against the charges that were brought against him because in the charges the claim is that Paul is disobedient to God and yet Paul says I did not disobey. I've been faithful. I remain faithful to the Lord doing exactly what the Lord asked of me. Paul was a sinner saved by God's grace. And in his mercy, God called Paul and Paul was obedient. I say this to say that we all should be seeking to be obedient to the call. When God calls you to do something, it's not up for discussion. It's not a suggestion. The call comes from heaven. It supersedes everything else. All other desires should pale in comparison to what God, what God calls you to do. The world needs the gospel and the Lord knows how and who he wants to use for what purpose in order to fulfill that vision. When you hear the call, the only option for you and for me as followers of Christ, when we hear the call, the only option is obedience. And so I ask you, church, are you obedient? You say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, pastor. Uh, let me clear that up for you, okay? I want to I clear it up because I hear people say this often. Well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know this. I don't know that. Let me make this as clear as I possibly can for you this morning, okay? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. Is there anything confusing about that? Are we confused what that says? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all of creation. Mark 16, 15. The call for the believer is not to go into some of the world and preach the gospel to some people or those that fit what we want but go into all the world, preach the gospel to all of creation. Do you think that, do you really think that your pastor goes to Haiti and preach the gospel to voodoo priests because it makes me feel safe and comfortable? No, we go because he commands us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. And if you say, well, pastor, I can't go to those 
parts of the world. And I say to you, give to send others. And, and you go to your neighbor across the street and you go to your coworker, and and God calls you and we are to be obedient, not to think of a way to be disobedient. God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. What you should be doing is say, okay, how do I best do that? Not, oh, how do I avoid do that, doing that? This is what Paul did. He proclaimed Christ everywhere. Paul proclaimed Christ at Damascus where he was converted, Acts chapter 9, verse 20. He proclaimed Christ in Jerusalem where he was educated and known as a Pharisee, Acts chapter 9, verse 29. He proclaimed Christ through Judea and cities, towns, and villages to everyone whose path he crossed. He proclaimed Christ to the Gentiles. Paul was obedient to the heavenly call. Paul preached repentance, and we looked at that last week. He preached that, that men everywhere needed to repent. This is the call of God to all believers. That we would proclaim repentance to those who are lost. Are you obedient? Are you searching for ways to be disobedient? Are you doing what God calls all Christians to do? We see Paul as being obedient to the heavenly vision. And we are called to do the same. The reason Paul was labeled crazy is simply because he was obedient to the call. And for Paul... This was the absolute sanest thing he could possibly do. And so I ask you, are you crazy for Jesus by being obedient? The reason the lost world does not understand this is because sinners live for the fleeting things of this world. The reason the lost world can't understand Christian obedience is this. Sinners live for the fleeting things of this world. When the lost world looks into the life of the believer who is living in obedience to Christ, it's crazy to them because they live for the fleeting things of this world. It was Martin Luther who said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them. But the things I have placed in God's hands, I still possess. Jim Elliott, the missionary martyred at the age of 28, wrote in, the in his journal when he was 22 years old, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This makes no sense to the sinner. That's crazy talk. It should make sense to us when we read those comments. It should make perfect sense to us. And yet we would say in our heart, the things of this world holds a strong attraction to us. Sure, we may not abandon our faith for the things of the world, but we sure have grown accustomed to trying to get the best of both worlds as Christians. We sure know what it's like to take what God has given us and squander it on ourselves without thinking of anybody else. We struggle with serving God or serving the almighty dollar, especially here in America, which is why Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. This is why John warns us not to love the world or the things of the world and that if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. You see, the sinner lives for the fleeting things of this world. This is exactly how Festus and Agrippa and Bernice lived. And why Festus says, Paul, you're crazy. You're living for the things of the world. You're nuts. You're insane. But not only that, not only do sinners live for the fleeting things of this world, but because they live for the fleeting things of this world, sinners have a corrupt view of success. Sinners have a corrupt view of success. I want you to stop and think of those you know of 
that are powerful or in a position of power. Do you ever wonder how they got there? Do you ever wonder how they got to that position? Is it possible that some get to their position of power not from a biblical view of success, but instead from a corrupt one? You see, the world says you have to claw your way to the top and you have to do whatever it takes to make it to the top. And even Christians fall prey to that mentality. And dare I say, even pastors, they have visions of pastoring a bigger church or a larger congregation or being a famous pastor or writing a bunch of books and people saying, oh, well, look at look at Josh Monday. He's quite the famous fella. I often am thankful that I'm not famous. Because I don't need a bigger head than I already have. It's plenty large enough. It'd be hard to not have a corrupt view of what it is to be successful. If you're in a position of power. Think of Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice. And all the pomps surrounding them. They have all the armed guards around them, right? Wearing their expensive robes, rolling down the street in their high-class chariots, as they as they walked up the steps, there would have been the lowly commoners of the day calling out to them. Everyone being uh, before them, treating them with respect, bowing down and honoring them, and servants surrounding them, waiting to carry out whatever it is they asked them to do. In the eyes of the world, they were living the life. They had everything. That you could ever hope to have. They were so successful to the world. But that is the problem. The world has a corrupt view of success. Those who the world sees as successful truly are not successful. The world worships the Michael Jordans of the world. We line up to get their autographs. But eventually they will be dead and forgotten. In two years Festus will be dead. And if their names aren't. Recorded here in the scripture for us to read. We would know nothing about Festus, Agrippa, or Bernice. And yet Paul, the one who is crazy for Jesus, is the most successful person in the room. Don't you see it? Sinners have a corrupt view of success. They think all these things in this world are going to make them successful. But Paul lived in light of eternity. And his impact was an eternal impact. Not only that, but sinners look to impress others instead of God. Sinners look to impress others instead of God. Not only do they have this corrupt view of success, but they want to impress other people. Have you ever met someone that seems to live their life only to impress others? This is the way Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice were. Just like most of the rich and famous of our day, trying to impress other people with their own greatness. They care nothing about God. They didn't care about pleasing God in their life. And much like today, people live so that others would be enamored with them. And they don't care about what pleases God. We dress to impress others. We buy things to impress others. We display certain attitudes to impress other people. We give little thought as to whether or not God is pleased with us. Because we are more concerned with what other people think and impressing them. It's so easy to fall into that trap of trying to impress other people and living a facade while forgetting all about God. Our focus should be on pleasing God. Our question should never be about what it is to impress someone else. But our question should be, is God pleased with what I am doing? 
Because God looks past the outside. And he sees straight into your heart. God looks past the clothes that you're wearing and and all the nice stuff that you may have. And he sees right into your heart. But sinners look to impress others instead of God. Sinners forget about faith focusing only on reason. Sinners forget about faith focusing only on reason. Festus interrupted Paul when he spoke of Jesus rising from the dead. For him, this idea of anyone rising from the dead was absurd. It was crazy. And Paul, believing it, meant that Paul's crazy. The reason being is because Festus could not reason in his mind the resurrection. And even though Paul was a very learned person, him speaking of the resurrection was only proof that he had gone out of his mind. Festus believed in logic, not in religious superstition, which is what Festus and the Romans thought of religion, merely superstition. Faith in, in, in a, it was entirely forgotten about and was the mistake that Festus made because he didn't care about faith. He hadn't factored faith, faith in the Lord into any of this. He failed to recognize that the God of the universe, the God who spoke into existence all things, could do as he pleases and does not operate inside the laws of nature and time. He operates outside the laws of nature and time. There's nothing wrong with reason. After all, the Lord gave us our minds and we should use them. Like the commercial says, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, but by all means, use your mind. Use it. Study. Use it to study the scripture. Use it to study theology. Use it to dive deep into doctrine. But human reason has its limitations. Far too often we try to exalt reason over God. And if we can't reason something, we, we read into scripture what we believe. And if we can't reason something, then it must be false and faith is left out. Or because we can't reason something, we fall into heresy providing our own reason. When we leave faith out of the picture, then all we have is this present world in which we live. If this world is all there is, then by all means, we shouldn't waste our time going to church. I mean, seriously, if this is all there is, then don't waste your time going to church. Instead, you should live it up. Eat, drink, and party because tomorrow we die. That's what Paul says. If this world is all there is, then there's nothing beyond our sad existence. But not only that, sinners focus on what others think of them. Sinners focus on what others think of them. Some people spend their entire lives focused on what others think of them with little regard for what God thinks of them. This is what we see in the life of King Agrippa when Paul asked him in verse 27, Do you believe in the prophets? What does Agrippa do? He makes light of the situation by saying to Paul, Are you going to persuade me to be a Christian in such a short amount of time? Agrippa's focus was on what others thought of him. He was in front of many important people. That would, What would they think of him if he took seriously the words of this crazy follower of Jesus named Paul? He doesn't care what the living God thinks of him. He turns it into a joke and loses his opportunity for eternal life. Our thoughts of what others think of us are powerful. Kids and teens are constantly concerned with what others will think of them in a school setting. They're afraid of what others are going to think. Well, what if somebody thinks I'm weird? Or what if somebody thinks I'm different? And so they don't take a stand for Christ. Adults are afraid of what other 
co-workers will think of them. So they refuse to take a stand for Christ. What happens is because we do not want to be different, we try to bend in and blend in and we laugh at the dirty jokes and we go out and get drunk with everybody else that's getting drunk and we, we cut corners and we do all the things that, that, that we shouldn't be doing. We tell little lies or we fudge the truth just a little bit. We just go with the flow. The problem is the flow is headed straight to hell. And we just say, well, I'm just going to go with the flow. Sinners live for material things of this world. Sinners live for the material things of this world. Stop and think about Festus and King Agrippa and Bernice. They were living the life. They had things that everyone wanted. They lived well. Perhaps they lived high on the hog, so to speak. They had money, they had power, they had influence. They had the best clothes you could buy. They lived in the nicest houses. They drove the Bentley chariot of the day. Then you have Paul. What did Paul have? Not much. Everything he owned could probably be put in a suitcase. But Paul was the one that was wealthy. You see, some people look at material possession, and that is what they live for. They want to get all they can. But Jesus taught that the person who gains the riches of this world and is not rich towards God is a fool. In Luke chapter 12. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having some material blessings. Nor is there anything wrong with enjoying it. But let's be clear. Scripture clearly teaches us. That we better be on guard against every form of greed. Because even when we have much. Our life does not consist of what we have. We would do well to remember that everything that we have is not ours. Everything that you own is not yours. It has been given to you to steward by God. You are simply a steward of what God has given to you. And often we act like we better hoard it and we better, we better keep it and we better spend it on ourselves and we better do for ourselves and we refuse to give any of it away or we somehow think that the measly few dollars that we drop into the offering plate is somehow something just great because I dropped a few dollars that's God's money in the first place in the offering plate or or we might go real crazy. We might drop a 20 in there. Really? Do you think that's what God wants you to do with His money? Do you think that's what God wants you to do with His money? You just watch kids eating dirt cookies. Do you think that's what God wants you to do with his money. You see the problem is. We confuse his money with our money. With, oh well, look I got all this money. Oh well pastor you don't know. I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. Baloney. It's his money. I believe. We will give an account. For how we invested. What God has given us. In light of eternity. And God has given some of us way more than others. And some of us aren't even moved by the fact that the rest of the world doesn't get to live like us. We say stupid things like, oh, well, I guess they should have been born in America. Instead of saying, why has God given me so much? 
and allowed them to have so little. Could it be that God wants you to give? You see, the sinner lives for the material things of this world. Sinners, lastly, about sinners, sinners live for sensual pleasure. Agrippa and Bernice were brother and sister. They lived together in incest during this time when in Rome you did as the Romans did. Today, we hear the commercial on TV. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Sensuality ruled the day then, and it still rules the day today. They had no regard for God's moral standards, and still we don't have regard for God's moral standards. Go stand in line at the supermarket, and you'll quickly notice magazine covers that promote sensuality. Drive down the highway for a while, and you will see billboards promoting sensuality. We are bombarded with how you can please your lover, or how you can make them go nuts for you, etc., etc. Sensuality is a strong temptation not just for young people but for everyone why do you think that the porn industry is a 97 billion dollar industry and somewhere between 10 and 12 billion of that comes from the United States alone church I know the pull of sensuality is strong but for for the Christian as well as the non-Christian but let's be clear sinners live for sensual pleasure They live to gain monetary pleasure and momentary pleasure, but long term, they will have misery and pain. Sinners live for the fleeting pleasures of this world. But there's something else we need to see. And that's this. Saints are crazy for Jesus living in light of eternity. Saints are crazy for Jesus living in light of eternity. Last week we saw how Paul made an appeal to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how his faith rested in the fact of the resurrection of Christ. This was not a leap of faith. It was not walking in darkness, but it was faith based on eyewitness testimony. Paul had an encounter with the risen Savior and he was converted and changed. And it was this encounter with the risen Savior that made Paul crazy for Jesus and transferred him from sinner to saint. I want to share with you three things quickly about being a saint who is crazy for Jesus. Some people would say, well, isn't a saint, isn't that a Catholic thing? You know, like St. Peter and stuff like that. The answer is no. A saint is anyone who has received Christ as their Savior. They are referred to as saints throughout the Scripture. So if you are here this morning and you know Christ as your Savior, you are a saint, not a sinner. Now, don't go telling your wife, I'm a saint. You know, that probably won't go over so good. But anyway, you, biblically, you are a saint, not a sinner. Saints, first of all, let's see this. Saints are converted. Paul was a man who, was per, who had persecuted the church. However, on the road to Damascus, he began to live in light of eternity, which is how all saints are to live. On the road to Damascus, Paul was converted. He went from a persecutor of Christians to becoming a Christian, and everything changed. Had Paul lived his life by the ways of the world, he would have thought King Agrippa had uh, everything that he had, and he was wealthy, and he was powerful, and he was successful. And Paul would have thought, I have nothing to offer this man. I can't even say anything to this man. However, Paul was converted. Paul was living in light of eternity. Paul now viewed King Agrippa through the eyes of God, and he saw him for what he was, lost. 
enslaved to sin and under the condemnation of God. Agrippa had a head knowledge of the Old Testament prophets. He needed to repent of his sin and trust Christ as his Savior and Lord. And so Paul sought to bring him to salvation and repentance. I think there are times that we act like coming to saving faith is just this easy little thing. But the truth is, it's often a struggle. There's often inner turmoil as one struggles with repentance. In verse 14, Paul says, the Lord said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad, if you don't know, is a sharp stick. Sometimes it would have a metal point on it and it was used to prod oxen. And so the Lord says, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against these sharp sticks. Paul apparently struggled with the gospel and he kicked against the truth before his conversion. Perhaps it was at the stoning of Stephen. We don't really know. The point is this. There is no point in fighting God when it comes to conversion. Though often we don't, or often we we do fight him, it will only serve to wound wound and Make us hurt even further. We must stop fighting, repent of our sins, and trust Christ as our Savior and Lord. It is then that we are converted from sinner to saint. Secondly, saints are crazy for Jesus demonstrated through obedience. Repentance is essential to conversion. Moving from sinner to saint is not done apart from repentance. Remember, Paul had said in verse 20 that people should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Last week, we talked about repentance and how it meant that we do a 180. We turn away from sin and we turn to God and that it's not just this intellectual ascent. Before conversion, everyone lives for self. Everyone is in darkness. Everyone's a slave to sin and Satan. After conversion, we live our lives to please and glorify God. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul gives us this wonderful description of his own repentance when he says this but whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ then in verse 19 of this very chapter Paul speaks of his obedience Paul was obedient to preach the gospel. Paul, who was formerly a zealous Jew, who would have maintained that any contact with a Gentile would mean that you defiled yourself, would devote his whole life to reaching the Gentiles. Paul was obedient to the commission. Paul was crazy for Jesus. Paul would write, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the world says, that's crazy. In 1913, when William Borden, age 26, a graduate of Yale and Princeton, left his palatial home near Chicago's Lakeshore Drive, giving away over $500,000 to become a missionary to the Muslim world. Many of his contemporaries thought he was crazy, and when he died six months later from cerebral meningitis amidst the flies and the heat of a Cairo hospital, some were sure he was mentally unbalanced. In 1885, when the Cambridge Seven, including C.T. Studd, England's most famous athlete, left China, they were ridiculed, and yet C.T. Studd said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Chet Bitterman said, I would not be a bit surprised if the Lord required martyrdom of somebody in Wycliffe, 
Maybe someone in Colombia, I am willing only later to be martyred in Colombia for his faith. These folks were crazy for Jesus, just like Paul. But here's the thing. We see this and we read about it and we hear about it. And and our first thoughts are, yeah, but they were super Christians. They were super committed. I could never do such a thing. Yet Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You must be crazy for me. And it's demonstrated through obedience. Jesus said, instead of worrying about the comforts of this world and all that it has to offer, we should seek the kingdom of heaven. Listen, the commission, the command for every follower of Christ, every person that has gone from sinner to saint, is obedience to to the great commission, to the call. It is to be crazy for Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that he commands us to do. Unfortunately, we look at the great commission as something that only missionaries do or full-time pastors do. The attitude is, I'm not called to do that, so I, I need to get on with my life. I need to have a family. I need to make money. I need to do what I want to do. Every once in a while, we may drop a few bucks in the offering plate, maybe a 20 or something. Maybe we do it weekly. We think we've done our spiritual duty. Church sure is nice, isn't it? We can come and hang out, feel good about ourselves sometimes. I know what you're saying. Pastor, your preaching never makes me feel good. I understand. It makes me feel bad too many times. But sure is nice. Don't call me to be a crazy person for Jesus. We walk through our life as Christians and our faith plays little to no real part in our life. We give little thought to our lost neighbor, let alone someone halfway around the world. Yet listen to me, church, the Bible verily very clearly teaches that every single Christian puts Jesus in his kingdom first. We are to be crazy for Jesus. And you may fool the pastor and you may fool others around you, but you are not fooling God. Church, we exist to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations, not just America. We exist to make Jesus glorified among the nations. That's why we're here. We're not here to gather all of the trinkets of this world and put them under our belt and to think that we've accomplished something. Great, great, good job. Pat yourself on the back. Do everything you can and gain everything you can in this world and die and fade away into existence and make no eternal impact because that's what will happen. You won't find joy in the things of this world. You only find it in God. You only find joy in accomplishing the work that God gives to you through obedience. And guess what? You're not going to accidentally demonstrate obedience. You're not going to accidentally fulfill the Great Commission. You have to deliberately focus on it. You have to keep putting off the junk of this world and the entanglements of this world in order to focus on the Lord. Listen, church, all saints are crazy for Jesus. It's not just the super spiritual ones. Everybody that knows Christ is to be crazy for Jesus. And it's demonstrated through obedience. Finally and lastly, being crazy for Jesus only makes sense when we live in light of eternity. 
Being crazy for Jesus only makes sense when we live in light of eternity. None of this makes any sense if our focus is on this world. It doesn't make sense to give money for a mission trip if you're focused on this world. It doesn't make sense to share the gospel if your focus is on this world only. It doesn't make sense to set aside a portion of your income if your focus is only on this world. However, when we are crazy for Jesus, it makes perfect sense because we live in light of eternity. It only makes sense when we think of things eternally. I don't think I could say it any better than the way the Apostle Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If our hope is in this world only, we live a pitiful life. Look around. Look around. Look at the sinner. Those trapped in this world live their life for the here and now because that is all that matters. If this world is all there is, then don't give to missions. If this world is all there is, then watch a video of kids eating dirt cookies and be like, oh, so what? Because this world's all there is. If this world is all there is, then don't share the gospel with your neighbor and your relative or or your mom, or your dad, or your brother, or sister. You know why? Because, big deal. This world's all there is. If this world's all there is, then don't go to church. Don't, just quit coming. Because what's the point? Now, I know some people are freaking out. He just told people not to come to church. If this world's all there is, then why are you here? I wouldn't be here. If this world's all there is, then live for yourself and have a great time. If this world is all that there is, and I put my faith in eternity, then I'm a fool. Oh, but those that are crazy for Jesus know this world is not all there is. They live in light of eternity. Being crazy for Jesus only makes sense if my focus is on eternity. Let me ask you this morning. With the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the things that you say cause the world to look at you and say, they're crazy. That person's crazy. Why doesn't anybody think we're crazy anymore? Because we blend in. We're just like everybody else. If you say this morning, I look around and I'm like everyone else, then perhaps you need to live in light of eternity. Because Jesus is risen. And being crazy for Jesus only makes sense when you live in light of eternity. And so I ask you this morning, are you crazy for Jesus? Are you living in light of eternity? Peter Cameron Scott could sing. He was extremely gifted and he was ready to pursue a career as a singer when God challenged him. The challenge from the Lord was this. Will you seek a life of self-glory and applause in the entertainment world or will you dedicate your life to my service? 
Peter obeyed God's call. He received some missionary training, and at age 23, he sailed for Africa. Within a few minutes, his or within a few months, his brother joined him. But the harsh African climate and environment that became known as a white man's graveyard. It took its toll. His brother died. Peter built a crude coffin. He dug the grave himself and he buried his brother. Alone at the grave, he recommitted himself to preach the gospel in Africa. His own health finally broke and he went first to England. Then he came back to the U.S. to recruit others for the cause. In 1895, at the age of 28, he established the Africa Inland Mission. But just 14 months after he and his party had landed on African soil, Peter Scott fell ill and died. After his death, the mission nearly failed. One after another of the workers died. By the summer of 1899, one missionary remained on the field. One. But they persisted. Ten years after the mission's founding, there were 31 missionaries on the field. In the early years, more missionaries died from the harsh conditions than came to Jesus Christ as their Savior. More died than people came to Christ. But missionaries kept coming. When they showed up to Africa, they packed their goods in coffins. The Africans were amazed at such determination. They said, surely only a message of great importance would inspire such action. By 1971, there were a million and a half members in the African Inland Church. Tucked away in the northwest corner of the American Cemetery in Cairo, Egypt, lies the neglected grave of William Borden, who I shared with you earlier, one of the most celebrated missionaries of the 20th century student volunteer movement. He was heir to a family fortune. He graduated from Yale. Instead of going into business, he devoted his life to Christ and pledged in service to the Muslims in China. But at the age of 25, Borden died in Egypt got spinal meningitis while studying Arabic in preparation. His will distributed nearly everything to mission groups and Christian ministries, leaving him only a cement slab as a gravestone. Engraved at the bottom were these words uttered in memoriam. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. It is reported that written in his Bible, even though we have no proof of it, were these words, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Church, the world looks at these stories of missionaries. The world looks at Christians who give generously to the Lord's work. The world looks at the man or woman who says, I don't care about what the world has to offer. I only care of Christ. And they says, that person is crazy. But church, the truly crazy ones are those who live for the fleeting things in this present world because it's all going to burn. And 
All that this world offers means nothing. Those who are crazy for Jesus are those who say, yes, Jesus, I will go. I will live in light of eternity and I will obey all that you have me to do. So I simply ask you this morning, are you crazy for Jesus? And is it evident? Are you crazy for Jesus? And is it evident? Here in a moment, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to stand right down front. If you need prayer this morning, I'd be glad to pray with you. If you say, Pastor, I'm not crazy for Jesus. I'll just blend in with the rest of the world. I just I want you to pray with me. I'll pray with you. You can pray in your pew. You can pray where you're at right now. You can cry out to God. God, I'm not living the life crazy for you. It's not about doing better. It's about just saying, Lord, I'll just be obedient. Maybe today for the first time, the gospel's made sense and you need to Surrender your life to Jesus. Receive Christ as your Savior by faith. If that's you, I'll be glad to talk with you. How the Lord spoke. Would you be Lord to respond? Let's pray.